Hi everyone, it's Tom. Less than a day after we completed this episode, we learned about the passing of singer B.J. Thomas. I've found an excellent 1989 interview with B.J. and Roger Ashby, and it will air following the closing credits of this show. This is Famous Lost Words. I'm Christopher Ward with my co-host and the creator of the show, Tom Jokic, who is one of the great archivists of all time. He digs deep into this amazing collection of interviews so that I don't have to, and so you get to reap the benefits. <laughs> That's a very good point. Well, thank you for saying so. Christopher, it is funny that you put it that way, because in episode one, which is which is also known as episode 101, we feature part of an interview with Janet Jackson from 2014. And I just played a bit of it, and I knew the rest of it was good, but I'd kind of forgotten. And so just the other day, I listened to the rest of the Janet interview, and I went, Oh my God, this is really good. It's, there's so much detail. There's so much about her personality revealed that we didn't run in that first episode. So what we're going to do is we're going to play pretty much the whole thing. The interesting thing is it's from May 4th, 2004, about 12 weeks after the infamous Super Bowl. I was in the room because I was the producer of the morning show then, and Janet was very shy, but she warmed up, and what she says at the end was fantastic for us to hear. That's not all. We also have a chat with Robert Palmer from the early 1980s, around the time of the album Clues. And it's funny, for a guy who was known for being extremely stylish, we're about to hear Robert describe style as death. It's a fascinating interview. Also in our last episode, Tom, you surprised me with something called Beatles or Stones. Well, it is now time for me to turn the tables on you, sir. Oh, that's going to be fun. Yep. We will have some cool song facts about GNR. That's right. Guns and Roses, cool song facts. And I'll have lots of answers to many questions about GNR, except for the biggest question. Was their cover of Live and Let Die totally necessary? <laughs> I, I have the answer for that already. But before all that... We get started with Janet Jackson. From 1990, that's Janet Jackson in one of her big hits, Escapade. Tom, most artists arrive fully formed. Well, maybe with a little bit of seasoning ahead, we'll say. But sometimes we get to see one grow up in public. Artists like Alanis and Justin Bieber will always have to live with their younger selves. (laughs) Sometimes it's cute. You know, like the Musketeer contingent, right? Like Britney, Christina, and JT. (laughs) And usually, the road to fame lands them in a better place. I mean, think of Drake, Miley, and Demi. I notice how with all of them, you can use just one name and everybody knows who they are. (laughs) A rare artist shows all their potential early on, but Janet Jackson might be one of those. She had a long TV resume in her teens, and she broke through as a recording artist on her third LP, Control, in 1986. In this interview with Marilyn Dennis and Roger Ashby from 2004, Janet talks about writing from personal experience, something she has lots of. If you have any downtime, do you feel that you're lazy? Does that kind of go on in your mind? At times, yes, but then if I have any downtime soon, I'm not going to feel lazy at all. Are you kidding? (laughs) No, no. Yeah. You're telling me you're averaging because you're on this promotional tour. Well, there are times when we do, well, when we were in Europe just for like a week or so, it was about three hours or so. Yeah. Of sleep. Mm-hmm. And boy, you just would love to have a little day 
to take a nap maybe and relax a little bit? Yeah, like this yeah. morning. Yeah, no, 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 I want to get up. He's yeah. like, call me back in 10 minutes. <laughs> that last 10 minutes, and it seems like a minute and a well, half. Well, exactly. You know, we have yeah. a 10-minute newscast coming up at 8.30. You can catch a nap then if you like. Yeah. I'll take anything I can get. That, that chair you're sitting in folds out into a nice little It's kind of a lazy boy. Yeah. It is. One that of is. those pull-out bed things. <laughs> you know that somebody in your, bir- in your family is celebrating a birthday today. Yeah, two people. Two? Uh-huh. Two. We only have one. What do you have? Well, who do you have? Jackie. And my mother. Oh, and your oh. mother. Yeah, and they're both on the same day. Oh, Happy fantastic. birthday. Your yeah. birthday's coming up soon, on the 16th? Yes. Yeah. And then my two, both of my sister's birthday are at the end of this month. Wow. Yeah, a lot of us in May. Do you ever have any regrets about some of the personal things you reveal in your music? Do you ever no. listen back to it and say, gee, I wish I hadn't said that or done that? No. No? Never. No, because I, there's, I always leave something to myself, and I think even though I, I, you know, I write about life experiences, mm-hmm. and that's the only way I truly, really do know how to write, yeah. you still you leave something to yourself. So there, there's a lot that I, I don't write about that I never will reveal. Mm-hmm. No, never. Maybe we'll get it out of you between now and nine. <laughs> Good luck. She's really tired, Roger. We might get it out of her. We're on a mission now. No. Hypnotize me. Put me to sleep. <laughs> so as you can tell, this was a very early morning visit from Janet Jackson to our morning show. And at the very beginning, she sounds quite tired. But as you'll see, she warms up as we get going. And also, like I said before, this was just a few weeks after the Super Bowl controversy. So she is very understandably wary of the media and we do our best to thaw that cool exterior. And by the end, well, you'll hear what she says later. Here she talks about a stage strategy for the forgetful performer. You ever have trouble remembering all of your lyrics <laughs> to songs? Are you kidding? Yes. Yeah? Yeah, and, the tw- <laughs> and I feel so badly. Because I don't want to be those one of those artists that has a teleprompter. Because yeah. a lot of people are doing that. Do they? Te- yeah, yeah, and yeah. I think that's kind of tacky. Well, you've got yeah. such a huge <laughs> catalog, a catalog. But what's of music. worse, that or not forgetting your lyrics? <laughs> I know it, it no. must be hard to remember them. all you, the songs you've. Well, you've... you look out the audience, I would guess too, and they're singing the right lyrics, and you're. Right. Uh, well, you just over. do one of these. Oh, you, is that? Hand the, you hand the microphone over to the audience. Oh, to hear so like, that's why they do that. Either that or you just mumble. No, uh, uh, you know yeah. the melody, but you can't. It's like, damn it, I forgot to check what those lyrics were. <laughs> you still get a kick out of hearing your songs on the radio after all these years? I, I, I actually do, but I, I really get embarrassed when other people are in the car with me. Do you? Yeah, I turn the station. <laughs> if it's just me, I'll listen. Especially if it's an old song, I'll listen to it. Yeah. Because I haven't heard it in a while and just listen to the whole production. But I get embarrassed when other people are in the car. Is that weird? It is kind of weird, especially so turn, after all these years. I, I know. Yeah. It's just me. I'm crazy. <laughs> well, we know some artists that turn the music up really loud and they go, boy, are they obnoxious. They're turning off their song and they're right. Yeah. Oh, when you're in a yeah. club and yeah. they play your music. Oh, my God, I get so embarrassed. Embarrassed in a cl- yeah in a club. I, I just want to hide. You're saying that. But it's funny you'd be embarrassed because you must be very proud of what you've done. No, I ha- I am, but yeah. I just I get really embarrassed because I feel like all eyes are on you at that point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. So I I don't know. That's crazy, right? For all eyes to be on you, yet I'm in the business that I'm in when yeah. all eyes are on you. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I don't know. Kind of goes with the territory. Yeah. 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 Oh, it's funny that Janet Jackson is so self-conscious <laughs> with the attention. But you have to admit, she's so yeah. likable here. You know, and at this yeah, point, we know that our audience wants us to ask her about the Super Bowl. But her people have told us that Janet Jackson doesn't want to talk about that. So our first way of asking without asking is by asking whether she thinks that American culture 
was moving backward at that moment. Yes, I do. Yeah. Yeah, instead of moving ahead, it seems like we're going a little a little backwards, but it's too bad because I've always thought the rest of the world was kind of ahead of us, especially Europe and, and the mm. whole bit. So, I, you know, I've always thought that and, and how liberal they are and just advanced in certain ways. And it's too bad that we can't. You know, we needed a lot of catching up to do. Now there's a lot more catching up to do, it seems to me. Mm-hmm. So, And of course, that Super Bowl moment was a real flashpoint in the culture wars. And Janet's career definitely took a major hit. And she took the brunt of the blame while her partner in crime, Justin Timberlake, kind of walked away unscathed. And Justin has only recently apologized to Janet publicly. And it looks like Janet is going to become the subject of a documentary in the same vein as the recent Framing Britney Spears documentary. I don't know if you saw that. That no. was excellent. Really? Yeah, it's so good. So as you can see, we started to inch our way in towards asking about the Super Bowl without asking about the Super Bowl. But first, we had to return to a more comfortable topic. You know, you have a very close family. You have a large family and you have a very close family, but you're all into so many different things and spread around North America. Mm-hmm. How do you stay close? By phone, we get together. I get beside myself when we're all together. It's the most enjoyable thing. Um, it reminds me of when I was a kid. I, I become a kid all over again, and we just have the best time. With the last, let me see, the last time we were all together was just um, maybe a month or so ago. It, everyone came to my house. Wow. That's great. So, how many kids, how many grandchildren uh, do, do your parents have? You lost count. I think there's like... 26 or 7 or something wow. like that. Oh, wow. Something like that. And Auntie Janet has to remember everybody's birthday. Oh, I can't. That's too difficult. <laughs> oh, I bet you it is. I bet you it is. We've got Jansen from Markham on the line. Hello, Jansen. Hi. How are you? Good. How? Say hello to Janet Jackson. Hi, Janet. Nice Hi. to meet you. Nice to talk to you. It's an honor. Thank you. Same to you. What's your question? My question is, is uh, Janet, do you miss acting? And if so, uh, do you have something in the works? I do miss acting. That was actually my first love, and that's what I started off doing before singing. And uh, I, I'm actually reading a couple of scripts, and they're really contingent upon um, when the tour will end, actually. So we'll see. That's going to be a great show. That's Janet Jackson from 2001 and Someone to Call My Lover. What a great, fun song. This is a 2004 chat with Janet Jackson, one of the best in our collection here on Famous Lost Words. This is interesting. Appearing on SNL can be very tough going. How good were you on Saturday Night Live? Yeah. You were awesome. That's the best rings they've had in the eons. Did you have a good time doing that? You know, that's a really stressful show to do. I bet you it is, yeah. Yeah, it is. But it was fun. The whole crew, everyone's so nice. The cast, the writers, everyone's really, really nice and they make you feel it's like like 30 uh, writers, 30, 40 writers and they all but in this tiny room they all get in, in Lauren's room and they pitch all these ideas, like three or four ideas to you and they're all sitting on the floor behind you and that's like your first introduction to the whole piece. So it's a week long affair it's, then, yeah, is it? That's, that's a yeah, lot of time. Yeah, it's really yeah difficult. Were you there for the whole week, for the whole process? Uh-huh. Yeah? Yeah, there 
and trying to rehearse <laughs> without crying the, the performances yeah. and 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 uh, yeah, yeah everything else it was the first run through was the hardest because it's a two-hour show with an audience a live audience oh. and they had me in like seven sketches mm-hmm. and then i had to get dressed for the performance so you're running like you do sure. in, in mm-hmm. quick change backstage during the tour running from one place to the so you're out of breath. You're tired. That was a great Condoleezza Rice. Oh, that was great. Oh, Condoleezza Rice. That was yeah, brilliant. You nailed that one. What an amazing song. A very up-tempo song about a very serious topic. Together again, Janet Jackson from 1997. This is Famous Lost Words. We still have much more to come with Janet Jackson, including why she prefers her brothers to her sisters. (laughs) And yes, we do get her to talk about the Super Bowl. Welcome back to Famous Lost Words, where we dig up great interviews from the archives and play the best bits for you. I'm Christopher Ward with Tom Jokic. And this week, it's an epic 2004 chat with Janet Jackson, just weeks after the infamous Super Bowl wardrobe malfunction. Conducting the interview is Roger Ashby and Marilyn Dennis. Laughing in the background is yours truly. I was producing the show. I like you give yourself a laughing credit. That's only right. (laughs) Tom, I imagine that with a guest like Janet Jackson, there are very many topics that you want to cover. That's for sure, Christopher. But we were fortunate to have her for a full hour, which was great, but very unusual to have a person of her statue for so long. Now, it wasn't a full Mm -hmm. hour of talk. We still played music and we did our newscasts and that. And it gave her a little bit of time to relax and just chat. Now, sometimes... People don't like that downtime when the songs are playing to just chat. Sometimes they're not comfortable enough to do that, but she did relax. And Marilyn is particularly good at putting people at ease, whether it's when the mics are on or behind the scenes when the mics are off. And Roger, of course, is the music geek. (laughs) Here, Roger asks Janet about growing up around some very famous people. I'm curious to know, coming from uh, Gary, Indiana, and then moving to Los Angeles and being surrounded by all those great Motown people like yeah. Smokey Robinson and Diana Ross. And Marvin Gaye. Marvin oh Gaye, God, yeah. Stevie Wonder. When I was a kid, yeah. Running around the house. I mean, you, you know, go out by the pool and there's Diane. and I mean, everybody. It was really... It's such fun, but as a kid, you, you really don't think no. about stuff like that. And I think back on it now and thought, how lucky... Was I? Yeah. You know, I want to ask you too, who did discover the Jackson 5? Yeah. What's the truth? You know, they say it was Diana Ross, they say it was Gladys Knight. Who Who was it? It was uh, Bobby Taylor. Bobby Taylor, I've heard that too. Okay, tell me who Bobby Taylor is. Bobby Taylor was a Motown artist. He had a group called Bobby Taylor and the Vancouver's. They had a couple of hits. I love, go ahead. Yeah. Well, (laughs) I I don't know much more than that about Bobby Taylor. No, but he, you know, and I remember, and I haven't seen him in so, so long. I remember as a kid coming to L.A. and he used to pick me up all the time. We first moved to California and he used to take me to, it's called, oh, I can't remember the place. It's like a Dairy Queen kind of a place. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was like a Tasty Freeze or something like that? Yeah, like that, yeah, but yeah, a yeah, little yeah. devil. It was orange with a little, I can't remember the name of the place now, Juicy something or something mm-hmm. Juicy. And we used to get like a little orange drink all the time. And that was my little trip with him. He used to, I used to love that. He used to pick me up, but. Is he still around? What's, what's he I, doing? You know, I don't know. I, yeah. I, I, I hope so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, Those are great memories to have, though, aren't they? Very nice memories to have. And what about Smokey Robinson? Those eyes. I remember those <laughs> eyes. They were so light. Yeah, it was, it was really wonderful. Uh, um, uh, 
Oh, Sammy Davis Jr., I remember yeah. being at the house. Mm-hmm. So all of these people would have influenced you then, musically, a, of course, right? A great deal. The mm-hmm. biggest was uh, Marvin Gaye and Stevie Wonder mm-hmm. and, and Sammy for myself. I was always drawn to the guys as opposed to the women, to the females. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, people like Stevie Wonder and Marvin Gaye, of course, wrote a lot of their own material, where some of those other Motown artists didn't, so maybe you were... Maybe that's what it is. ...drawn to them for that reason. Maybe so. Yeah. Um... And I don't know. I maybe I always thought it had something to do with being so partial to my brothers as opposed to my sisters. So being mm-hmm. drawn to them in that way. But mm-hmm. you know, you might be right. Control, Janet Jackson, 1986, and that album was so good when it came out, and it really changed the game for Janet. Not to mention her producers, Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. Oh, yeah. And it led to Rhythm Nation a few years later, which was even more adventurous. It was almost industrial sounding, but those songs and those videos were great. Tom, back to the interview. Here, Janet talks about working with... Jennifer Lopez. When uh, Jennifer Lopez was working with you and she decided to go off on her own, did she give you a call? How did that work? No, she didn't uh, personally call. She actually, we were preparing for the tour and she said that she wanted to go ahead and, and, and uh, start acting and wanted to be let out of her contract. Mm-hmm. So I, I mean, I wouldn't dare try to hold someone or say, I'm going to sue you if you don't. I mean, she has other goals and mm-hmm. dreams, and she, there was other things she wanted to do, so I just wished her well. More power to her. Oh, that's nice. That's good. Whatever became of her, anyway? I haven't heard much about her. Well, <laughs> I haven't a clue. I don't know. Great stuff. As you can tell, Janet is now fully comfortable with us, which is great. Here she talks about her fitness regimen and being happy. You know, I often think when I see people on tour, and yourself included, who perform such long shows, you're often on stage for more than two hours doing 30 songs while you're up there on stage. Do you get to a point where you're tired of doing that show when you're on tour, or is it different every night? It is different every night because of the audiences. Um, but at the same time, it's very it becomes monotonous. And I, I don't like switching the show up. I mean, there are a lot of artists that do like to change it around. But I feel like when it's set and, and it works, I like to keep it there. Mm-hmm. Um, but so you don't change any songs at all? No, I mean, there, there the might next? be... Well, there might be a time where you take out something here or there, mm-hmm. but never really switch them around. For myself, no. But the audiences make it yeah, mm-hmm. entertaining for us from one night to the next. Or there might be nights when we know we're kind of homesick, so we'll... we'll tell each other let's get crazy next stupid on stage tonight and we will <laughs> i don't know if the audience knows it yeah or notices yeah. it but we do we yeah. do things we're not supposed to be doing yeah. and making yeah. each other laugh you have to do that to entertain yes. yourselves yeah. and keep it interesting yeah. Yeah. yeah we've got judith uh from toronto on the line and and you do look so good and judith that's kind of the line of questioning you have what did you want to ask janet jackson yes good morning jack good morning janet how are you i'm very well thank you um i was wondering what type of diet you follow as well as exercise uh, program yeah. in order to stay so slender and wonderful looking. Well, when I'm being really disciplined, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, uh, I work out six, six days a week at the most, at the, at the very least four, but I, I try to go for six 
for about uh, two hours, two and a half hours. That a includes day. cardio and weight yeah, bearing and exercise. Lifting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh huh. And and you know a lot of people will work out, but they go hand in hand. The way you eat is just as important. Because you know we're talking about that earlier. So how many yeah. times do you try to eat? You do like mini meals during the, during the day, correct? I, I try to eat five times a day. Yeah. Which people go, oh my God, that's a lot. But make it a balanced meal of having a great deal of protein and just very little carbs. Um, like a half a cup of carbs, depending upon what it is. Yeah. And having my vegetables, no fruit. So um, you drink that low carb beer then? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So she's, she's having no. one right now. As a matter of fact, she didn't want you to bring that up. But what the heck? But you, but but being on tour or being on this promotional tour, and being on a different time zone, that's pretty tough to do. It gets very tough. I yeah. miss meals, and when I miss meals, I tend to gain weight. Yeah, because, because it stores itself as, as fat. Yeah. So your body thinks it's going into starvation mode. So. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's amazing how God really created us when you really think about it. But um, So when you do eat something, mm -hmm. it takes everything out of it and stores it as fat, and you start to gain weight. So, Well, you look good, and you look happy. I'm very happy. And you're, you. Uh, you, you have a lovely man in your life. Sure do. You sure do. I you sure do. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about him. Um, oh, I don't, I don't, I don't want you to. I don't want you to get uncomfortable. Whatever you want to talk about. I don't, well, what do you want to know about him? I don't. No one's ever sent me to me. Tell me about him. But, well, you know, we see pictures of, of him with you, and it's wonderful and everything. But you know, you and I talked a couple of years ago, and you were just starting the dating scene, and yeah, it made me wonder how did you guys get together. Well, Just we, were, we were friends mm -hmm. for a while, and I had asked him to do a remix of uh, Someone to Call My Lover on the last project. Mm -hmm. And we, we became uh, closer. The first time we actually met was on the Rhythm Nation tour, I think. Really? Yeah, and back wow. then he said to me, he said, I'll see you again. He said, we'll, we'll see each other again. And he said I gave him this really weird look like, yeah, right, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess he knew something that I didn't. Wow. Yeah. Any big plans I for togetherness? I don't know. <laughs> I'm just asking. As the big ring is flashing in my face, I can barely see you, but I'm asking you the question anyway. Well, we wish you well with it, Janet. Thank you so much. We really do. You look, you look the best I think I've ever seen you. It's fantastic. You know, everybody happy. says that. Well, you're in a happy place. It's a good place to be. Finally, thank you. Yeah, I'm really happy for it. That's great. So as we know, Janet's life changed in a number of ways since that interview, including with her relationships and the loss of her brother, Michael. But it was great to see her happy in that time. This is Famous Lost Words. I'm Christopher Ward with Tom Jokic. Up next, we'll wrap up our chat with Janet Jackson as she finally addresses the elephant in the room. Plus, I turn the tables on Tom for something we like to call Beatles or Stones. <laughs> does he really love Kiss as much as he says he does? What? what about his dedication to this show? We are going to put his loyalty to the test next. Come on. <laughs> Welcome back to Famous Lost Words. I'm Christopher Ward with Tom Jokic, and we are just finishing up our 2004 chat with Janet Jackson. Where are we now, Tom? So now we're at the end of the hour that we had with Janet, and she still hadn't gotten to talk about the Super Bowl. <laughs> and Roger Ashby, very gently, leads her to have that conversation. I wonder what it's like for you to travel with as many people as you do, and you know you've always got people around you, and it's a pain in the butt. <laughs> <laughs> and you're, you know, you've been in the news so much lately over the last few months, heavy media scrutiny. How do you deal with all of that? Because even us as as viewers, readers, 
we don't know what to believe when we see that stuff. How do you deal with it all? Mm-hmm. You know, it's 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 difficult at times, but you just you got to stay focused. At least that's the way that I I. I I approach it. I mean, I have my job to do, which I love, and and with all that drama that happened, I still had an album to finish. Mm-hmm. So I I completed the album, and then there was all the other work that needed to be done after that. So do you try to avoid reading some of the stuff that's written about you, or do you? Do you uh, how, how do you stay focused? Um, I don't read a lot. I mean, it's, it was kind of hard not to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know. So, but it, the funny the part about it is that the day that I came home after the Super Bowl, which I really don't talk about anymore, but I'll right. tell you this story. Okay. I, I came home, and there was a major storm in L.A., so my cable was out. I didn't see television for two days, <laughs> so that was great. So I didn't have to deal with it for two days. Then there was everything after that. That but, was divine intervention. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Good timing. So, thank you guys so much. I, I really have fun every time I'm, I'm with you guys, so I appreciate that, really, for making me feel very comfortable. Well, thank you. That makes us feel good, too. Yeah. And, and you know you're welcome to come back if you're coming through town on a tour. You're always welcome to pop in here. Thank yeah. you. Oh, man, I love that ending. She didn't get into great detail about the Super Bowl there, but at least Enough. she managed to acknowledge it. Yeah. And I, I respect that, right? She didn't want to get into the whole controversy. She didn't want to say anything that was going to rile up a whole bunch of people again. But I really love how comfortable she was and how she told us that she just loved being there. And from a person who was extremely exhausted and reticent at the very beginning to an hour later saying that was just fantastic for us. Yeah, well, you guys were very respectful of her as an artist, too, which was great. That's Jenna Jackson on Famous Lost Words. This is Famous Lost Words. I'm Tom Jokic with Christopher Ward. Okay, Christopher, on a recent episode... I introduced something called Beatles or Stones, where I asked you basically, who do you like better? And now it's time for you to turn the tables on me. So what you're going to do, Christopher, is you're going to give me a choice of two things, and I simply have to tell you what I choose and why I chose it. Well, well, I got a bunch, so you don't have to tell you why on all of them, but if you're so moved, yes, please do. All right. Enlighten us. (laughs) All right, here you go. Okay. Bon Jovi or Def Leppard? Oh, dear. (laughs) I've always said that I only like two Bon Jovi songs. One is Living on a Prayer, Mm -hmm. and the other one is the live version of Living on a Prayer. And I (laughs) like more Def Leppard songs, so I'm going to go with Def Leppard. Okay. (laughs) And thank you, Mutt Lang. Um, Lou Graham or Steve Perry? Oh, Lou Graham. Uh, Oh, man. I don't know, though, because Steve Perry is inarguably a great vocalist. I really loved... Lou Graham's vocals and his vocal on Urgent alone is so good. Like he he sings from his guts there. Yeah, it's Lou Graham. Okay. Pink or Janet Jackson? Oh. I've seen both in concert. Janet's fantastic. The choreography was wonderful. But Pink is by far one of the best performers I've ever seen. Listen, I love Janet, but I, I think it's Pink. Okay. Paul Stanley? Or Gene Simmons. <laughs> Paul Stanley by a mile. Paul's a nicer guy. <laughs> All right. Yeah. TLC or Salt and Pepper? 
Uh, TLC. I love, love, love No mm. Scrubs. And Salt and Pepper were, were very good, but those songs seem to me a little bit like novelty songs. Let's talk about sex and push it. Oh, I love that song. <laughs> yeah. When I'm DJing a dance, I'm more likely to play Salt and Pepper than I am TLC. All right. This is a palate cleanser for you. <laughs> Lima beans or turnips? <laughs> <laughs> wow. I'll go with broccoli. No, it's not on the menu. <laughs> Um, okay, so you get to go to a live concert. Do you want to see Aerosmith or Kiss? Oh, man, that is a great question because, like, Kiss is my answer through and through because I love Kiss way more. But I've seen Kiss, I don't know, a dozen times, and I've never seen Aerosmith. So I think if the travel distance is the same and the cost of the tickets is the same, <laughs> a.k.a. free, I'm going to Aerosmith. <laughs> Surprise answer, ladies and gentlemen. Um, okay, Pink versus Kiss. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now you're just twisting yourself in circles. Um, uh, for the same reason, I will see Pink again instead of Kiss for the 13th time. And finally, The Beatles or Kiss. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now you're just getting silly. The Beatles. Um, how about your favorite album cover? Sgt. Pepper? Yeah. Or Rumors? Uh, Sgt. Pepper. All right. Um, the Sex Pistols, Never Mind the Bollocks, or Never Mind by Nirvana. And what are we talking about here? Covers or the actual album? Album cover. Oh, boy, that's a tough one because Never Mind is great. But I'm going to go with the Sex Pistols because it looked as intimidating and as aggressive and as nasty as the music was inside. Mm, good answer. All right. Born in the USA or Sticky Fingers? Uh, Sticky Fingers. I love Born in the USA album cover, mm. um, but Sticky Fingers is just so classic with the jeans and the zipper. Oh, man. Boy, it, that must have upset <laughs> so many people, and I love that. London Calling or Abbey Road? Well, you know, even his albums, that is a tough one. I would go with Abbey Road for the music, but let me see. London Calling with the picture of Paul Simonon, like, basically destroying his base that is classic but you know mm. what i love the beatles album cover so much i'm gonna go with the beatles and by the way london calling that album cover was derivative of an elvis album cover uh right down to the color and the font yeah. of the words on the on the album so i'm gonna go with the original and that is abbey road i think that was an intentional homage though on the part of the clash for sure but yeah yeah okay and one last cover cindy lopper's she's so unusual yep. or madonna's like a virgin Okay, for album covers, I am going to go with Cyndi Lauper. It kind of showed her freaky great vibe just with that album cover. And even though the Madonna album is iconic, I don't know. I just like Cyndi more. There you go. One final question. Sure. If you had to choose a podcast, would it be Pod Save America or Famous Lost Words? <laughs> well, you know I am an American <laughs> history geek. And you also know yes, that I, I know. hear every single one of our episodes of Famous Lost Words 400 times uh, for various reasons. <laughs> I'm going with Pod Save America. Oh, my God. <laughs> You're a veritable podcast Benedict Arnold. Yeah, I mean, who knew? That's true. Oh, well Just to done. throw a little uh, historical reference that's at you. very good. Very wow. good. American history, historical reference. No, I love our show. I tell everyone about it. I want everybody to listen to Famous Lost Words. It's the love of my life next to my fiance and my kids. But by gosh, 
I'm happy to listen to something that is not my voice. And something where Kiss just doesn't get mentioned every week. <laughs> there you go. That's called Beatles or Stones on Famous Lost Words. From 1985, Robert Palmer and Addicted to Love. And I know you like the song, and I know you can also picture the video of the girls with the guitars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's probably the number one thing that gets recalled about that. That's right. The artist, Robert Palmer, wouldn't want it that way, though, I mm-hmm. assure you. He had one of the most fascinating career paths of any pop artist of that era, and it went on for a long time, too. Um, bridging musical influences that ran from R&B to reggae to rock and more. He had hits over 30-plus years of work. His first solo record, an album that I loved after being in a band called Vinegar Joe, was called Sneakin' Sally Through the Alley. Do you know that record? Love that song. Love it. Yeah. Alan Toussaint song. Anyway, he was backed by the meters. It had a whole sort of New Orleans vibe to it. And Lowell George, one of my favorite songwriters from Little Feet. Um, his earliest hit was actually Bad Case of Loving You, which he talks about in this upcoming interview. Yep. He also had hits with the band Power Station, a Duran Duran spinoff, and solo records, including the number one, Addicted to Love. Yeah. His sense of style, uh, watch for that word coming up ahead, and his visually arresting videos made him a star for the 1980s. Here, Robert Palmer talks about his earliest artistic experiences. I was interested in graphics at one point. I used to really enjoy making pictures, you know, as a form of expression. And so I went to uh, school hoping to escape some of the formality of the British schools, thinking it would be better. And uh, they formalised the art too and took all the fun out of that, which is when I left that and went into a group, you know, because they can't really formalise music. It's crazy, but I'm frightened by the sound of the Although Robert Palmer is best known for songs like Addicted to Love and Simply Irresistible, my favorite Robert Palmer was Adventurous Robert Palmer, like that song, Looking for Clues from 1980. What a great song that is. Still much more to come with Robert Palmer, including how he came to record his first massive hit and why he tried to be out of style. Plus, we travel to Paradise City where Tom shares some cool song facts about, you got it, Guns N' Roses. This is Famous Lost Words. I'm Christopher Ward with Tom Jokey. Coming up in a couple of weeks, our special 90s edition featuring Jewel, Goo Goo Dolls, Matchbox 20, The Spice Girls, 10,000 Maniacs, Bare Naked Ladies, and so much more. Uh, you know, Kiss put out albums in the 90s, right? Sure, sure. But, uh, I, you know, I bet it didn't stand up to their more nuanced work from the 1970s. Okay, that wasn't necessary. Aren't we busy with something else right now? <laughs> we are indeed. We're in the middle of a great early 80s chat with Robert Palmer. In this clip, Robert reveals that the sources for his songs might not be what everybody would expect. If uh, my inspiration comes from uh, some politic or some religion or some business or something like that, I'm definitely not going to write a song in that language. So I always translate wherever it came from into um, a conversation Mm -hmm. between two people. And so to to just get rid of um, any parochialism in the lyric or whatever, I'm not going to write about the rock and roll lifestyle or, you know, any of those things I find very boring. We aren't going to hear a Robert Palmer song about being on the road. No, in any particular country or anything like that. It's more more a matter of, like, um, 
you know, having a conversation about stuff you found out, whether it be relationships, ambition, jealousy, all these kind of things. Pride. Johnny's always running around, trying to find certainty. He needs all the world to confirm that he ain't lonely. One of the oddest pop songs from the early 80s, Robert Palmer and Johnny and Mary from 1980. Boy, it really speaks to his need to be different. That's such a cool song, and it actually got a modern treatment. Have you heard it? There was a DJ, I'm going to get, hope I get this right, named Todd Turgy. Okay. And he did a version a couple of years ago featuring a very low-key vocal from Brian Ferry covering Johnny oh, and Mary. Oh, wow. Check it oh, out. I'd yeah. love to hear it's that. really yeah. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Here's how Palmer came to record Bad Case of Loving You. Bad Case of Loving You. A Moon Martin song. How did you happen to record that? Where did you hear it to, to um, do it anyway? I was on the road, and um local representative of Warner Brothers played me um, the tape of his album. He just happened to have it on in the car on the way to the gig. And uh, I really liked it, so we learned it at Soundcheck, put it in the show, it went down well, so I recorded it. Robert Palmer from 1979 and Bad Case of Loving You, that's the song that really catapulted him to fame. And that is a nice lean sound. I, like he, he had so many different styles and I love the fact that he could do Bad Case of Loving You with that tight rock sound and then he could do Looking for Clues or Johnny and Mary or Sneak and Sally Through the Alley. Fantastic. Yeah. Style is murder. <laughs> <laughs> what? Put that in quotes, okay? Because okay. that's one of the most interesting summations I've ever heard of from an artist. I've just started doing some country and western tunes and some of the guys in the band are a bit worried. I make a, I make an attempt to almost be out of style because I hate style. I think style is like murder. And so at any one time my album always seems to my albums always seem to be a, a bit out of phase with whatever's contemporary. Why would you do that? Why would you deliberately try to be out of step? Because it's bad enough being aligned with any current style when I'm trying to avoid it or not make the attempt. So to actually do it would be even worse. Sneak and Sally Through the Alley, 1974, a song we referenced earlier, Robert Palmer on Famous Lost Words. You know, Robert needed to buck the trends, as we said before, and I'd suggest that the massive success of Addicted to Love became a bit of a weight around his neck because you know he would have wanted to continue to evolve, and you also know that the record company was you know, clamoring for more hits like Addicted to Love, which is why he came out with Simply Irresistible, the following album. And I don't think that was true to his to his real artistic bent. Robert Palmer, by the way, passed away at the age of 54 in 2003. Yeah. Such a tragedy because it would have been interesting to see how he would have evolved over time. Yeah, and he was clearly an artist that was sort of built for the ages. And he, yeah. you know, graciously adapted to each stylistic change that he went through. So, yeah, it would have been. That's Guns N' Roses from 1988 and the classic Sweet Child of Mine. Which 
brings us to this edition of Cool Song Facts, the GNR edition. What brought this on, Tom? I did read Slash's autobiography um, several months ago. And, you know, when I do that, I always take notes and think, oh, my God, I got to tell Christopher this. Okay, so here's some pretty interesting stuff, okay? So Slash's mom was a costume designer, and she worked for... The Pointer Sisters, John Lennon, Flip Wilson, <laughs> Linda Ronstadt, and wow. David Bowie. And in fact, she had a relationship with Bowie. <gasps> and Bowie is going to figure in the, this conversation in a few minutes, right at the very end of this segment. Okay. All right. I can wait. Slash's dad designed album covers and worked with Joni Mitchell, among many others. So that's wow. really cool. A great quote on what Slash learned from watching David Bowie. He said, being a rock star is the intersection of who you are and who you want to be. Very wow. interesting, yeah. Very very philosophical, yeah, great. Okay, here's David Bowie again. So Slash was deeply addicted to drugs, and his mom got him to talk to Bowie. And Bowie gave him very, very good advice. Listen, this is just going to ruin you. Don't do it. That's one of David Bowie's great regrets is taking the drugs that he did. And so Slash acknowledged David's advice and then promptly ignored it. Okay, not surprised. No, not surprised at all. So Slash joined Guns N' Roses. When he answered an ad in a paper, a band was looking for a guitarist in the vein of Aerosmith and Hanoi Rocks. And they said, no beards or mustaches. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's very specific. So Axel and Slash found work, you know, before the band blew up, they found work as movie extras. But they would often wow. just find a place to slack off or fall asleep <laughs> until it was time to eat or collect their daily paycheck. So if you're looking for them in the movies that they supposedly were in, they weren't. They weren't there. Uh, okay. This is more than I ever needed to know about Slash. But, oh, I know. But carry know. on. Yes. So Slash was picked up by the police once and was sitting in the back of a patrol car when the cops spotted Mike Levine, the bass player from Triumph, as it exiting a 7-Eleven and heading to his car with some beer. They put him in the car, too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you see, we have to ask Mike about that. That's true. We be, By the way, we have a short clip of Mike... Um, in, I think it's episode 101. It's one of our very first episodes, and it's really good. But I got to promise oh, really you, I remember that. we are going to have a full interview with Mike from about 1982. I just listened to it the other day, and it's fantastic. It's a great interview with uh, Mike Levine from Triumph. I'm going to play it for you in an upcoming episode in the not-too-distant okay. future. Okay. All right. Back to Slash. He quit Guns N' Roses for three reasons. The first was that they never started their concerts on time. The second okay. was they canceled shows for no good reason. The third yeah. was a contract that they all had to sign that awarded Axel the band's name if they ever broke up. Okay? Hmm. So why did Axel always show up late? He didn't understand it as frustrating for the audience. He thought it built anticipation. Okay, half an hour, anticipation. 45 minutes, yeah. great anticipation. Three hours, I'm going to kill those guys when they come up on stage. Right? <laughs> <laughs> anticipation so, turns to frustration. That's yes. right. Now, of course, they did mend fences, and Axel did 
eventually decide to become a responsible human being when it came to being a, a lead singer and a leader of Guns N' Roses. From what I understand, that you know their reunion tour was fantastic. And not only that, Christopher, during that Guns N' Roses world reunion tour, he was also the lead singer for ACDC after Brian Johnson announced that he could no longer sing because of his hearing issues. Right. So... Did you, you know, ever hear them with with him as a lead singer? I saw some video and it was it was fantastic. Really? Well, you would want to see ACDC with Axl Rose front You know, of the I I guess so. I I've never seen ACDC except for when they played the um uh, the SARS concert, SARS stock, as we called it, uh, right. back in what yeah, was yeah. it, 2004 in Toronto. I saw uh, I saw them the video of that from that day, and honestly, they blew everybody away, including the Rolling Stones. Yeah, that's that's what everybody says. Yeah, I saw I saw them in the 80s at the Gardens, and they were fantastic. Were oh they? That's great. Okay, there you go. Slash and Guns N' Roses cool song facts on famous lost words. Well, there you have it. Guns N' Roses, Robert Palmer and Janet Jackson. There's a super group if I ever heard of one, all in the same episode. <laughs> you know, we've interviewed everyone from Motorhead to the Captain and Tennille, and there is a combination that we missed out on, too. Now, to hear those and the hundreds of other interviews from our archives, check out past episodes of Famous Lost Words wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Famous Lost Words was co-written by Christopher Ward. The theme music was created by Christopher and Rob Wells. Christopher has also won Juno Awards, written books, and now he has a new album out called Same River Twice. And I suppose you're even a better cook than I am. Oh, I doubt it. I really, (laughs) really doubt it. Um, Special thanks to Sarah Cummings and Mike Bendixson and to the producer of the show, Mr. Tom Jokic. See? I can do something. Yay! (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Talk to you next time. That's the great B.J. Thomas and Hooked on a Feeling from 1968, written by his good friend Mark James. I chatted with Christopher just after we heard about the passing of B.J. Thomas, and we both agree that he was an incredible vocalist and interpreter. So digging through the archives, I found this phenomenal 1989 chat with B.J. and Roger Ashby. I talked to Roger about it just the other day, and he remembers this conversation very fondly and he was a big fan of bj thomas as well and roger will air some of this interview on the roger ashby oldie show which you can stream on the iHeartRadio app or here on a number of radio stations across canada this is a truly wonderful interview roger ashby in conversation with bj thomas in toronto from 1989 you mentioned some of your early influences like hank williams and the original et ernest tubb and uh, can you take us back to those days and, and tell us about those roots? Yeah, uh, you know, I guess, you know, my dad is, is my, was and is and will always be my all-time hero as far as uh, who I'd like to be like and, and all that kind of deal. But I never uh, communicated very well with my dad. Uh, and uh, when I got into, I noticed how much he loved country music. So I kind of got into music as a way to communicate with him. And then my earliest... Uh, you know, uh, influences in that in that way were uh, Ernest Tubb, Hank Williams, and all those early country people who actually weren't that big an influence on me, but they were just, I learned their songs because my dad liked them, you know. 
And uh, I'll always remember he took, you know, he took the whole family. Uh, we all went downtown and saw the Grand Ole Opry performance when they passed through town back in, gosh, you know, 51 probably, 50, 51 through Houston, Texas. And I'll just never forget the look on my dad's face that night. And I thought, boy, he loves these guys. And so it was just kind of a way I had of of, uh, of getting to him. So I'd, I'd uh, learn all the Hank Williams uh, songs I could, and I'd sing them to him, you know, as much as possible. And then especially after I began to make records and uh, and have hit records, he, he just really loved that. And uh, he kind of lived, mm-hmm. you know, vicariously through through my music and my career, and it was just a way we had of uh, communicating with each other. Was he in show business as well or not? No, he wasn't. He was just a working He was a working man. He mm-hmm. worked in air conditioning and had been raised on the farm and uh, worked in the farm, spent a number of years in the Army, that kind of deal, and uh, got into air conditioning business when it was just in its infancy, you know, in Houston, Texas, and uh, and uh, was a working man all his life. I always thought, though, uh, looking back and uh, thinking about him, that he could have been a... a, a a great country singer. He loved to sing, and, and and he was the kind of guy he loved to have a good time. And uh, and so it's too bad he didn't get into music. Mm-hmm. It'd have been good for him. So how did you come to get your first major recording contract then with uh, Scepter Records? Well, it uh, just so happened that when I'm so lonesome, uh, we put I'm so lonesome out locally in Houston, Texas, and it was a number one record there in three weeks. And a friend of mine had uh, been very. Uh, Influential a guy by the name of Steve Tyrell had been very in- influential in breaking Dion Warwick's first hit record. It broke first in Houston, Texas. It was a thing called "Don't Make Me Over," and uh, so they offered him a trip to New York. He went to New York and they sent him to the World Series. And he had such a gift of gab and was a, such a good record uh, guy. And he was only like seventeen or eighteen years old uh, till they gave him a job as a promotion man. And uh, one of the first things he did. Uh, after he came back to Houston and began to promote Scepter Records, was to uh, talk them into signing me. And I had just, he said, I, you know, I had a number one record, and he got them to sign me. And, uh, you know, we all went up to New York and signed the contracts. And, uh, you know, I've been doing it. I get, we went right on the road with uh, Dick Clark uh, back in those days. And, and I guess, I, you know, I've been doing it uh, in a national since ever ever since how much of your material have you written yourself very little you know i've only written a, a couple of songs that i've had on the on an album or two and i guess i was always uh, although i am i'm beginning to write some i write a little more now and hopefully on the new stuff we're doing i'm going to have some of my own material because i think that's one of the things i've uh, really neglected in my career but I've always been uh, you know kind of intimidated by the people I worked with I worked a lot with Burt Bacharach and uh, Barry Mann Cynthia Weil Mark James and, and all those guys out of Memphis Tennessee and and I always had songs that I had written but mm-hmm. gosh I'd never pull them out in front of those guys now Mark James also wrote Suspicious Minds did yeah he, he did and I tried so Elvis hard to get that Elvis stole that one from you is yeah that he stole it uh, you know actually I, I wanted that song so bad tried to get it and he said BJ you know he said I I wrote this for Elvis, and I want, I want Elvis to do it. And I said, man, Elvis doesn't record. You know, Elvis is not going to record your stuff. He does, you know, he's doing movie <laughs> movie things. And uh, it just so happened that, uh, you know, the the studio group, Elvis had, you know, been, had, you know, Bossa Nova Baby and all these deals, and he was kind of getting tired of that. And so he decided to come out of, uh, you know, hibernation record-wise, and he did come into American studio, and they cut a lot of, Mm-hmm. A lot of great things from actually it's only love mm-hmm. i recorded after hooked on a feeling it wasn't a wasn't a huge record for me but uh years later elvis recorded it and had a 
had a number one record in England, and uh, hmm. you know, so I, I always was kind of pleased about that. Elvis cut uh, "I Just Can't Help Believing" too in one of his movies, sound in one of his uh, live concert mm -hmm. uh, movies, and uh, you know, I was around, you know, was lucky enough to have been around him a number of times, and I think he liked uh, he liked me as a singer because he would always, when he had like a Christmas party or any kind of thing he had, he would always invite me to sing, and so so you met Elvis whenever he didn't, yeah. And so whenever he did, it was kind of like a, a command performance. If he ever asked me to sing, of course I would, I'd go over and and, and sing. And uh, hmm. you know, we were all uh, totally in awe of of Elvis. And when I first met him was back in '68, '69, '70 when I was around him. And he was just, you know, that was he was really pretty in those days. Yeah, mm -hmm. I guess he was in the best shape he, mm -hmm. uh, of his life. And uh, you know, it never, I don't think it ever really dawned on any of us that. Elvis had an unhappy moment or was having a rough time about anything. Of course, you know, looking back on it, it's kind of one of our regrets that we never yeah. were able to. Uh, well, that was be a that good far. time for him because he'd just gotten oh, married, he was, his daughter was born, and it was kind of a comeback with records mm -hmm. like Suspicious. He Mind. came back in the studio, and, uh, you know, at first it was like the same old deal. He brought in all his. All his cronies and they, all the guys from New York, his publishers, they came in with all these songs. And uh, and uh, Chips, you know, finally sat down with Elvis and said, uh, Elvis, he said, you know, we got to get, I want, we got to get all these guys out of here. And he says, I don't like any of these songs. And he says, I've got, you're going to have to, you know, put let, put this in my hands. And he said, let me pick these songs. He said, and it's really important to me now because he said, if we cut these sessions and you don't cut any hits, they're not going to blame you. They're going to blame mm -hmm. me. And uh, so I think for the you know the first time in maybe his entire career he he didn't call the shots and he he didn't do somebody just, other than the colonel yeah, chose his material yeah, for him. He, you know and he was doing stuff that he didn't publish and you know he owned everything he recorded and uh, so that's when you know uh, chips pulled out in the ghetto and suspicious minds and and all those things and in a period of about two weeks you know I think he cut five or six million sellers and one you know of course suspicious minds went number one twice. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know he had four, maybe four big albums out of those sessions, yeah. and it was some of the best stuff he had recorded, mm -hmm. uh, other than maybe his first, his first record. So have you seen Elvis lately? No, I ha I haven't seen him. And uh, uh, he is alive. You know, I, yeah. Well, I'm not. I don't think he's alive. But uh, I think you know, in a way, he's probably more alive now than he than he ever was because uh, people like uh, you and me were were sitting here in Toronto, Canada, talking about him. And uh, you know, I think. Uh, the great thing about Elvis is, uh, and I'm not sure he even knew this because he was really a kind of self-deprecating uh, guy and had a lot of humor about him about himself. But uh, the music he made is uh, is going to be eternal. It's always going to be here, and his influence is always going to be around. So I guess in that sense, uh, he mm -hmm. he is alive. Raindrops keep falling on my head. Is it true that it was offered to Bob Dylan before? Mm -hmm. You know, in the Burt, uh, if you're familiar with Burt Bacharach, uh, Hal David's music, of course, Burt, you know, didn't write the lyrics, but he wrote the melodies, and uh, he would, a lot of his phrasing and, and melody lines would fit right in with Bob Dylan. You know, Bob Dylan could have done, you know, what the world needs now is love, and, and, and he, you know, he could have done all those things. That's and, a uh, horrible thought, though. Oh, isn't it? <laughs> but, uh, but I don't know. Now, I can't say that because I, I really love Bob Dylan. I, I love the way, the way he sings. And uh, he could have, you know, Raindrops keep falling on my head. Was that melody line was just right down his, right wow. down his deal. And they had offered it to him, and for whatever reasons there are, um, you know, I guess he's never really done anyone else anyone else's no. material. Uh, so he turned it down. And 20th Century Fox had a number of tapes out across the country to, you know, various uh, singers. But uh, I 
in I you know was recording with Scepter Records, and so I was kind of luckily I was next in line. It's another one of those things where I just kind of you know was in the right place at the right time. So he offered me the song and. Uh, Ray Stevens too, I understand. I, yeah, I understand. That. Ray Ray told me he got a tape in and offered to do it, uh, but he had just done every everything is beautiful. It, it's it's kind of a dubious uh, uh, story as far as I'm concerned. I'm not too sure that uh, even if you had just finished cutting uh, 20 hit records, that you would turn down a Burt Bacharach, Hal David song, and a Paul Newman movie. So yeah, I, I'm exactly. I'm kind of uh, skeptical <laughs> about all the the stories of the people who said they had it, but. Yeah. Uh, I understand that there were some tapes out. Uh, it's kind of hard for me to believe that anybody would have said, no, I don't think I can do that right now. You want to talk about your days of drug dependency? Well, yeah, I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not uh, adverse to talking about that. It was like, you know, I think if I had never gone into music and I'd have stayed on the farm or I'd been a plumber or whatever, I still would have had, had problems with alcohol and drugs. It was kind of just a product uh, related back to me and my dad, uh, you know, my dad was an alcoholic. I got raised up in that that kind of uh, situation, and so I was going to have to, mm-hmm. I was going to have to, you know, live through that. And uh, you know, I'm I'm glad I did. Well, all the best to you while you're in town. Thank you, Roger. Appreciate it. B.J. Thomas. Mm-hmm.